You guys, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Hey, there's a rumor that we're studying the book of Romans, right? We actually got back in it last week. So here's the thing. The title of the message is Calling Evil for What It Is and Overcoming It with Good. This is kind of a part two, and we're in verse 9 down to verse 21. So much here. This actually is one of the most comprehensive, beautiful snapshots of what love is. But once you define love, evil is the absence of love. Love for God, right allegiance to God, right awe of God. Evil is that which is misaligned, misaligns with Almighty God. The result of that is what's called evil. And look, in Romans chapter 12, I just want to double underscore this before we kind of formally intro it. But if you notice in verse 9, uh, there's this phrase, abhor what is evil. And then if you jump down to verse 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. And if you look at verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right? That's a mouthful. It's couched, actually, as I just mentioned, in one of the most comprehensive snapshots of what love is. I just want to pray real, real quick one more time. Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. And we love you with our hearts. We love you with our allegiance. Um, gosh, and just thank you for first loving us. And I thank you once again for every, I just thank you for all my brothers, all the men, of course, as our, our sisters as well. But just thank you for the godly dads and grandfathers, the unsung heroes as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for them. So have our hearts, Lord. What is it you'd like to say to us? We welcome your transformation. It would spill over in being a healing agent in our generation. We want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, you would draw them to yourself. They'd make right decision for you as you won't force yourself on anyone. They would make right decision for you. Thank you that your love is urgent, protects, nourishes, and help us understand it, and then help those who don't yet, have yet received you to urgently embrace you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. amen. So I had this flashback, like I had just turned 19 years of age, and my dad took me to New York, which is a big thing. So this is 1983. Like, I had never been on a plane for such a long distance. Took me to New York. It was in February. It was a toy fair in New York. My dad was the president of Mattel Electronics at the time. So he takes me to New York. And um, it's like, what, do you, what is it like? A, and I, I was, of course, I was a, like, I love Jesus Christ. I was a follower of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, but what are you going to do when my dad is working during the day? There's a terrible storm that came in. In fact, still it's on record for being the 13th worst winter in Manhattan's history. So I'm like, hey, listen, man, I grew up in Southern California. You hear me? Like, I, it's like I've never been in such cold weather in my entire life. And my dad left me with 12 bucks to walk around Manhattan. I went into like Macy's to try to get gloves. I didn't even have enough money. There was this wonderful godly woman that just fronted me like a, a buck so I could get gloves. I mean, I was freezing. And then long story short, we took a train from Manhattan down to Washington, D.C., and uh, it was, the snow was just radical. So this is usually a five-hour trip. It took like 14 hours because the train was going so slow. So look, I am so hungry. Are you interested in the story? I am so hungry. 
we're going to go visit my sister. She's a vegetarian, okay, my sister. No, it's okay. It's all right. She's a vegetarian. And um, so anyway, it's like, we, you know, I'm like, yeah, we, let's get something to eat before we go to Kim's. Like, really late. No, she'll have something cooked for us. So we get there. Anyways, my sister brought out this food. And I'm just telling you, I have, I, the meat just look. I've never seen meat like this in my entire life. No, really, there was a, there was just something, like, there's like, you got this intuition going on, and then just, whoa, what, what, is, what is that? That texture is weird. I know, really. I mean, and I asked my sister, I said, well, like, what kind of, what is this? And she, she kind of just paused for a second. I'm like, uh-oh. And she like, blushed a little bit. She goes, well, I got a great deal on it. I got a great, you got a great deal on meat. Gee, I wonder if it's a great cut, you know? You got a great, so it was like my sister tried to feed us a heart, from a cow, right? Yeah, right. Okay, there you go. That's how I'm going to begin it. Listen, I was so stinking repulsed. I'm still upset about this, to be honest with you. No, I, I was talking to Stephanie about we were driving, and I said, I can't believe that actually happened. She goes, honey, you know what? It's a long time ago. Kind of get over it. But my, my point is this, seriously. Like, soon as I look, oh, jeez. I just, like, wanted to gag. And, and there's a point here because... Paul says we're to, you know, like loosely translated, seriously, feel nauseous about evil. We're to abhor it. It's like actually hate it, and there's really good reason for it. There's a reason why evil is evil. Like evil is kind of like this demonic rust that destroys the value and form of everything. It takes a little girl and destroys her innocence. That's evil. It takes the meaning of marriage and destroys its beauty and genius. That's evil. It devalues a human's life to a blob of protein in the womb that can be discarded. That's evil. Evil is the marketing campaign of our governor trying to justify our state to be a sanctuary state of abortion who quotes Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. That is evil. That's evil. Right? There is such a thing as evil. Today, however, and we mentioned this last week, if you identify, if you say, hey, listen, that's, like, that's evil, that's harmful. We're going to talk about like, the DNA of what evil is because we're to abhor it. We're to like, have nothing to do with it, cling to what is good, embody love and things. But today, if you identify something as evil, you're evil. It's like this ultimate like, gaslighter. We talk about like evil gaslights, evil like knocks on the door and you open like, hey, I'm uncomfortable with this. Like, I'm not sure about this person's intention. And the person turns around and says, you know, there must be something wrong with you. You know, you stinking white supremacist or something or white evangelical or you're a racist or you're Hitler. It's like evil is really slippery and it wants to go unnoticed. Evil takes the truth and calls it a lie. That's why Isaiah, we have the scripture says, woe to those who call evil good, good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. One person says that a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority. The thing about evil is it's real. It's destructive. We'll talk about it. Look, if you go back in the early 70s, you had terrible evil in Boston. But it wasn't seen. It was behind, kind of behind closed doors. It was below the surface. But 
It was pulsating. It was, it was destroying lives. I don't want to get it. It was like you had this terrible stuff taking place in the Catholic Church. I'm not trying to do, pull down the Catholic Church. I'm making a point. You had all of this abuse to children. It just hadn't been exposed yet. So on one hand, evil exists, and we know it does, and we can recognize. On the other hand, sometimes it's hard to, to discern it, yet we're called to be discerning. And ultimately, it's the Word of God that gives us the right discernment to detect it. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? So look, here's the context of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. It's like one of the greatest turning points in the Bible. Meaning, in chapter 12, you start getting into what it looks like to be a Christian. There's right allegiance. We give our heart and soul. We're a living sacrifice to God. And as such, we can prove what his, his will is for our life. Two, a Christian is a part of something bigger than themselves. So we're all a body. We are one. And we need each other. This is one of the reasons why he's saying now we need to love each other without hypocrisy. It needs to be a genuine love because it's the circulatory system of a healthy body. So we're not going to always agree with one another. There's going to be minor differences uh, among believers, but we have more in common than we don't have in common. And that's what we must fight for. Can I hear another big amen to that, right? So what he does here is like, okay, let's talk about what actually love looks like. It's very comprehensive. Like, there's love's morality. Look at verse 9 with me. Abhor what is evil. There's love's commitment and respect. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. I mean, think about that. Like, the church is the most diverse family on planet Earth. It's Jew and Gentile, big, small, black, white. It's like a monster family. You know, you become a Christian. All of a sudden, you got a bunch of crazy new uncles. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, it's a family that uh, is in process, at times is dysfunctional. But think of the genius of this and beauty of it. We are to love each other with a brotherly love. So what do you mean? Well, that phrase, blood is thicker than water, Right? So our love for one another is based upon the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. It's not based upon whether like, you know, we, we like, oh, want to hang out with each other, some desirability. No, it's a family love. It's like I grew up with an older brother. He's a pastor now, but you know, we didn't really get along at, at, at all. I mean, at times we did, but not really. But there was a time that there was this neighbor who threatened me. So, so now this like junior in high school is threatening to fight, you know, I'm like maybe a sixth grader or something, you know. And um, my brother, I, I can remember it till this day, comes running out of the house. I mean, here's a guy I didn't get along with, but someone's going to threaten his little brother. My brother was on it. I love it. Just good. Just, it was awesome. You know what I mean? So it's like he took him on. So it's like we are to love each other as brothers and sisters. We have more in common than we do not have in common. Preferring, honoring, valuing, big, small, black, white, this this diverse family, so beautiful. Jesus said, this is how you'll know. My disciples by the love that they have for one another. And he goes on, I mean, I love this. Love's energy and passion. 
It's like not lagging in diligence, kind of in the context of spiritual gifts. In other words, we all participate in the church, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Hey, rejoicing in hope. Like we should have a great attitude. Jesus won the war, right? It's like patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And last week we mentioned we're either going to be a thermostat in life, and that is we're going to influence others, you know, thermostat influences the atmosphere, or we're going to be a thermometer. We're going to conform to the culture, but we're not to be conformed. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Or we're going to be a vacuum. In other words, we walk in the room, we just suck the life out of the room, and we pull it down. You don't want to do that. We want to be a thermometer full of hope, Right? Jesus won the war. In fact, getting ahead of this, the message here, like when we think of Jesus, do you think of evil? Of course you don't think of evil. You think of perfect righteousness and love. But he experienced evil in every form. In other words, he was mocked. He was punched in the face when he didn't know he was coming. He was like crown of thorns, like just thinking mocked. I mean, like the, the most innocent man in human history was crucified. You talk about injustice. Oh my goodness gracious. And Pilate knew he was innocent, right? And then he's on the cross and you have people mocking him. It was like physical harm, evil, mental harm, evil, spiritual harm, treated as if he committed every stinking sin in human history. Whoa! But he overcame it with good. It's like, and when he returns, he's going to judge the evil on planet earth. So therefore, hey, let's have a great attitude, right? So we're experiencing increasing evil, there's no doubt about it, because of lawlessness. But believers ought to walk in the room being a thermostat, not a vacuum. Can I hear another amen to that? All right, that might be my last call for an amen. But there you go. So I mean, it's just comprehensive and we could go on. But here, point number one is this. This is a clear contrast. Love protects, love edifies, builds up, love values people. Evil, on the other hand, degrades, deceives, and harms. Okay? Now, we could like develop this point. We don't have time. I mean, husbands ought to love their wives, even as Jesus Christ loved the church. And it says that husbands, uh, you know, need to love in a way that protects, cherishes, and edifies, builds up. It's a beautiful picture of what love is. Evil, on the other hand, and we're going to be developing this, I mean, degrades, pulls down, harms. As I mentioned, it's kind of like this demonic rust that just destroys the form of things and destroys the value of things. But look, and I was talking to Joe about this earlier, but we're going to put this next point up. If I, like through a biblical lens, if I were to say, okay, we're to abhor evil, so if we're going to identify the DNA of evil, like what is it? You know, so we're to abhor it. What is its components? If we were to put it under a microscope, that this would be my best shot. Evil is not only the result of sin, and we're going to break this down. This is important for us to know. And trespasses. There's like little nuance in the difference of those. Okay, we'll talk about it. Okay, so it's not only the result of sin and trespasses, okay, 
that reveals itself in harming mankind. Like evil harms. Are you guys with me on this? That's what evil, evil harms. Evil harms people physically. We'll talk about no, like no murder, don't devalue life. There is such a thing as justified killing. It's not a pleasant subject. Self-defense, just war. But evil is taking innocent life. And there, it comes in many different forms. But evil also can impact people mentally. It's psychological warfare. It's very important. So it's lies and deceit. It's breaking the ninth commandment and the tenth commandments. Evil also has spiritual components and the ideas matter, doctrine matters, who you think God is matters, who Jesus Christ matters, uh, obviously. So evil would be ideas that are contrary to the truth. Uh, that, that is evil. If you're filling someone's head with a, with a false idea about who God is, that the Bible calls that evil. Jesus said eternal life is knowing the true God and his son whom he sent. So, and then ultimately, and then also I should say that we have it there, evil is the evil one. Jesus came to destroy evil. And he judged the evil one on the cross. He took his teeth out. Uh, and ultimately, he will judge him for eternity. I want to call for another amen there. I told you. But anyways, there. Okay. So it's like, okay. So what? But let's break this down. But bear with me. Watch. Sin. Let's just bear with me. Sin means actually missing the mark. Okay, so the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it carries the idea that we have an inherent weakness. So if we ask the question, are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we are sinners? We sin because we are sinners. Every human being is broken. There's no perfect families. There's no perfect marriages. There's no perfect church. Humanity is inherently broken. Okay, so Jesus would say that the core problem in our world is not political. L listen, government matters. Legislation matters. But the core problem is actually human nature. Okay, so he would say the core problem is not legal. Oh my goodness, come on, law matters. There's unjust laws. But the core problem is a brokenness in man. We are sinners, right? So Jesus said you must be born again. Like, the core problem is not money, because you could be a billionaire, but you're broken. So like when Jesus said you must be born again, he's speaking to the chief rabbi in Israel. It's like, man, he's nailing it right there. We need help. We need to be born of the Spirit because we have, there's inherent weakness of human nature. That's just a flat-out fact. And I'll tell you, the United States of America proves it. It just does. Because we live in the land of the free, and we have this phenomenal constitution. But it's like unless there's virtuous people and moral people, it will pull everything down. So it's like we, the, in the, the essence of brokenness is not economic or it has to do with government. Those Things matter, and we need to fight for them. We need to fight for righteousness. But the core problem is the brokenness of man, and we need to be born again. Okay, watch this. Trespasses has a different nuance to it. So, like, the, the problem in the world is sin, 
and man needs to be broken again, but trespasses carries the idea of intentional crossing the line. So watch, like don't trespass today, right? We, you may fall short, like I, I fall short all the time. We're all sinners. But we don't want to defy your conscience. That would be a trespass. You don't want to defy God's commandments. That would be a trespass. That would be like, and, you, and it's like if you know what is right, you need to be responsible with what is right. So don't defy your conscience. Don't defy the commandments of God because when you do that, that is lawlessness. And when you do that, you're giving room to the devil. Increased lawlessness leads to increased darkness. In my opinion, what we see today is increasing lawlessness. It's interesting that the Antichrist is identified as the lawless one. So he embodies everything that opposes Almighty God. Like if Harari was up here, the Israeli scientist and political leader who informs the World Economic Forum, he sees artificial intelligence and the Mary of artificial intelligence with biology to make man God. Okay, so just this time out here for a second. Oh, so nothing has changed for thousands and thousands of years. Because you go back to Babylon and that's like, man is like that Tower of Babel, man's wanting to be God. As they go back to actually like eternity and you know, behind the scenes, you have Satan who wants to be God. So now the toys are different, technology is different, but humanity's not different. It's so you still got a brokenness in humanity. So that's why Harari's saying, hey, guess what? Guess what? We'll guarantee your happiness. We'll guarantee eternal life. And say, He's not going to guarantee. It's a total joke, right? And you can become God, and technology will take us there. What a bunch of... Yeah, fill in the blank, right? It's just a deception. But here's the thing. Trespasses, you don't want to do that. You don't want to allow a foothold to become a stronghold. Stepping outside of original design, there are consequences to that. Now we come to evil. The Bible speaks a lot about evil. There's the evil one. whole world is under the sway of evil. Jesus taught us, deliver us from the evil one. Uh, he came to destroy the works of the devil. But here's where I want us to turn back to Exodus chapter 20. You guys turn there at this time. Exodus chapter 20. Because these are, of course, the great top ten of God. These are the ten commandments. And as we addressed last week, the first four address vertical dynamics in our life, like right allegiance. They address relationship with God. Like we're to have him as chief allegiance because he made us and created us. Uh, we're not to have anyone or anything to have him dethroned in our life because it becomes an idol, which is a God replacement, which will only pull your life down. We're not to take his name in vain, which is to empty the meaning of his name from his name, which would just, it, that's, that's, you don't, don't do that. So now you're like creating a God in your own image. And we could go on and on. But, but look up here for a second. Watch this. So you got the first four, and you got Shabbat, Sabbath given primarily to Israel. But this is the first four vertical allegiance, right, worship, relationship, and then the last six are horizontal, like you should honor mom and dad, respect them, and then value your fellow man, no murder, sexual purity is critical, no adultery. But the point is, is that if the vertical plane is thrown off, it throws 
everything off on the horizontal plane. So if you're thinking, whoa, man, I mean, we just got families breaking down, crazy sexual normalities, destroying families, all these different things, lie and deceit. Oh, there's, there's an easy course correction here. Just go back to the first commandment. You know what your problem is? The problem is you're not rightly aligned with the God who made you and created you. Because if he's the right, in right allegiance to one's heart and you have a right relationship, it's going to spill over on the horizontal level with our fellow men. So watch. It says, like, first commandment, love the Lord, have him as God in your life. And then we jump to the sixth commandment, which is in verse 13. It says, no murder. Right? So value the life of your fellow man made in the image of God. The king, how many of you have a King James Version out of curiosity? Do you really have the King James Version? Not the new King James Version. Uh, just, do you have King James Version? No, no, I'm not asking to. I'm just curious if you have King James Version. Okay, a few of you. Well, it reads, thou shalt not kill, right, in your King James? I have new King James. And uh, new is better than the old. And, and so, okay, anyways, it's a better translation. It's actually talking about taking innocent life. Emphasis on innocent human life. You know, interestingly, Moses murdered. David murdered. Paul murdered. They all broke the sixth command. Context of Scripture reveals that God gave the law to Israel that actually identified justified killing. I know this is not a pleasant subject, but in the law given to Israel, in the land of Israel, if someone took innocent life, innocent life, you guys with me on this? Their life is to be taken. A justified killing. Someone who sacrificed a child, justified killing. In Israel, kidnapper, justified killing. Incest, justified killing. Aren't you glad you came to hear this? I mean, it's like adultery and witchcraft. I could go on and on. All right, so our society still recognizes justified killing of another human. It's terrible. I don't like talking about it. Capital punishment, law and order, self-defense, just war. There's been a little confusion over capital punishment because Jesus said to turn the other cheek, but it's in the context of personal grievances. Someone cuts you off on the free, freeway, don't apply the principle an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Because that was actually to be judges, like ensuring social justice in society. And what, what it had been taken out of its context was like someone steps on your toe, and you're like, I'm going to step on your toe. Someone, I'm going to help you. you know, it's, like, it's like evil eat itself. Stop it. Don't repay evil or injury with injury. But when it comes to the state, the state is to ensure justice. That's why Romans says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. The New Testament scholar Marvin Vincent said, sword is born as the symbol of the magistrate's right to inflict capital punishment. So it's like, hey, um, is there forgiveness for the murder? Of course there's forgiveness for the murder. I mean, hey, we're all sinners, right? And Jesus said, by the way, that murder begins in the heart. So if you start looking on a white person or a black person or Asian person or whatever, like white trash, black trash, Asian trash, like that is like, that is, that's terrible. That's murder. That's the seeds of murder. 
because every human being is a God-bearer. We've been created in his image. And if someone committed murder, like Paul, is there forgiveness? Yes, thank God Jesus bore our sins on the cross, right? He paid the debt of every stinking sin. The only sin that won't be forgiven is the rejection of Jesus Christ continually. Like if someone rejects the lifeline until death, it's just that they pass, they pass the line. There's not hope for them. But there's forgiveness, okay? But if someone murders another person to ensure justice, the state must be responsible. You can forgive the murderer, but they will face the law. Are you guys with me on this? You understand? Today, today, no murder. Suicide, it's not, it's no. Patricide, genocide, feticide, the murder of the babe in the womb, that's, that's defying the sixth commandment. And you would think that the savagery of man would have decreased over the years, but our last century is the bloodiest in human history. And partly because there's more human beings on planet Earth. 125 million people have died of unnatural deaths due to state violence, wars, revolutions, ethnic cleansing. Hey, listen, ethnic cleansing? Breitbart just reported. Many Arab governments and leaders, despite being at the heart of the Muslim world, have supported China's genocide campaign against fellow Muslims. With extreme torture, beatings, electrocution, gang rapes, forced abortions, forced sterilization, and experiencing the killing of their children. This week, the head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, met with Jing in Beijing to upgrade Palestinian ties with China. Abbas, according to Chinese government, explicitly endorsed the Muslim genocide as a legitimate, quote, counter-terror operation. So it's like the toys have changed. It's like this is just reality. Technology has changed. There's more people on planet Earth. We're more educated than ever before, right? Um, there's MTV. Got to throw that in there. You know. There's all of this, but human nature has not changed. So it's like we need help, and we need help from Almighty God. And the Bible says it's a part of prophecy. In the days of Noah, so like in the days of Noah, will be the coming of the Son of Man. Days of Noah was violent. It was perverse. Population explosion. And it just will just be taking place when the Lord returns. And thank God he's going to return. That is the only hope for mankind. So it's like, hey, look, what is evil? Evil is physical harm, but evil is also mental harm. So it's breaking the ninth commandment. It's bearing false witness. It's slandering another human being. It's misrepresenting them. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Just, just real quick, if you go to like book of Nehemiah, we don't have time to look at it. Nehemiah was having lies that they were building the walls. They had support from the Medo-Persian king to do it. He's the one that funded the effort but when Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, one of the greatest comebacks in history, you have Sambalan, Tobiah, the, the Arab, and others who were spreading lies about his effort. So they were trying to discourage and freak him out mentally. It was psychological warfare. They, they were going, to, hey, you know what? Nehemiah, you're trying to set yourself up as king. You're going to actually affront the Medo-Persian Artaxerxes. You're like, no, you're really here for like, you're going to position yourself as king, you know, and to continue the work of Israel or something in the, in the line of the kings. And, so, and it was all a lie. But it was 
psychological warfare to break him and the work down. And Nehemiah said, for they all, all were trying to make us afraid. Their hands will be weakened in their work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. And then he told the group, hey, fight for your brother and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You have a responsibility, in other words. It's like you have a responsibility to this generation, the next generation. Cut out the lies. Don't believe them. Don't allow for the psychological warfare. Apply the truth. Cut out the lies and keep moving forward in what is right. But there is such a thing as evil when it comes to like torture of a person in their mind. It's lies, it's deception. That's evil. That caused mental harm and a bunch of other harms. Look, God forbid um, we're in a unique month in our culture. And God forbid that there's any influences that would dehumanize or demonize people. It's because all people, whether they're, whether they're heterosexual or whether they have same-sex attraction or whether they have gender dysphoria, we've talked about this millions of times. Listen, every human being is on equal footing at the cross. We're all broken, we're all sinners. Listen, and we all need to repent, which means change the way you think, which means the chief core problem is it, you know, we have, is, is, is not our body, it's our heart. It's a need for the renewal of our mind, right? We need to be born again. That's why the Bible commands men everywhere to repent, which actually changed the way you think. It tells you, therefore, you can be thinking in a way that's not good for you, not good for other people, not good for generations. You've got to align with God. That's what Paul said to Athens. But today, I just have to say, our president has taken pr the pride issue to a whole other level. Because what we are witnessing is a complete ideological coup in the United States. The United States is now a place where the official doctrine is that boys can become girls and girls can become boys. And that is evil. And I'll tell you why it's evil. Because it's a lie. Okay, that's why. So it's like, do we respect and love and value humans? Yes. Is there brokenness? Yes. But when you start spreading lies and you make it the official doctrine of the United States of America, the boys can become girls and girls can become boys, that is evil. Listen, that will result, if believed, in terrible harm to a generation of future generations. I 1,000% guarantee it as if I had any authority. I guarantee it by the authority of the Word of God. I, I just the confusion and, and the self-defeatedness, it's just that is what makes it evil. So it's like we need to value people. People need to get jobs, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. That's all very important. But when, it starts, when he starts spreading lies, hey, no, boys can be girls. You start promoting those ideas. That is false doctrine. False teaching, and that matters. There's spiritual harm. Evil is this ideological virus. The Bible identifies doctrines of demons. It's being informed by false teaching. Jesus rebuked the leadership in Israel. Uh, look, thousands were following Jesus. There were cries of Hosanna, save now. Many believing he was the son of David. He gets into Jerusalem 
and it was primarily the Pharisees, not all Pharisees, by the way, who like really influenced their generation, influenced Pilate to this terrible kangaroo court. But all of that to simply say, you guys, look, what we believe matters. You know, what we believe, if it's based on the Word of God, matters. Can I hear another amen to that? We need to study the Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, which means teaching, right? And uh, how to get right, stay right, and do what is right. And the Bible says examine everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil in the context yeah, it's talking about sexual immorality, but it's also talking about staining from wrong teaching because teaching matters, right? Like, interestingly, Jehovah Witnesses, if I could just simply say, hey, listen, we're just dealing with it all this morning, okay? But Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus is a created being. Um, Michael the archangel, that's, that's false teaching. That's not, that's not helping anybody. Okay, um, religious science tells us that Jesus became Christ conscious. The Scientology promises the idea that Jesus was invented. Christian science believes that God is in everything, and therefore Jesus is a highly enlightened Christian scientist. Um, you know, Jesus said, "Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord." He says, "I never knew you." It's like it, to have a relationship with Jesus is to know Him in truth. Truth matters. And the thing about teaching, it can act like a Trojan horse. So it can come into a community and it needs to be flushed out. I had a conversation with a local pastor and, um, and we were on a trip together and I sat down with him, we were chatting and I said, look, I, I, you know, I can't remember how, it, how we got into this, but I said, look, so my, my understanding is, man, is that you believe that godliness is the means to material gain. So you actually believe that if you're godly, you will materially prosper. So that's the word about you. I just say, is that true? Is that, you know, we're just we're, we're having our, is that, you know, is that true? You know, it's like, you know, is that true that you teach that if you're godly, if you do the right thing and righteous, you will prosper materially, right? So it's kind of under the prosperity umbrella. Do you believe that? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Well, listen, I mean, that's totally contrary, totally contrary to what Paul taught. So we looked at the passage. That, that godliness is not a means to material gain. It isn't. In fact, that's bottom of the barrel false doctrine. To teach that if you do the right thing, you are guaranteed to prosper materially. It's just like it, it appeals to the Western mindset because we're so, so thinking materialistic and consumer-driven, but it's not biblical, right? Godliness is the means. Well, let's look at it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 real quick. Since we're on it, I want to make sure I properly represent it. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, let me read okay. All right, so verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus, to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes, arguments over words from which envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, use, 
useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Godliness with contentment is, what's the next two words, you guys? Great gain, right? All right, there you go. It goes on to talk about the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, I think I misquoted earlier, but there you go. So anyways, we just had a, a nice conversation, and uh, his, his answer was, if I could just say, is that Paul was dead. He said, well, Paul's dead. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, wait a second. This is apostolic. This is the word of God. If there's, any, if there's anyone that has a correct interpretation of Scripture, it's the Apostle Paul. See you know what I mean? So it's like, so here's the thing. So we had that good conversation. It's, it's important to, by the authority of the Word of God, to confront error. At the same time, it's important to love each other. So I was actually like, I thought that was great. And I got to have lunch with him and stuff. He's teaching this stuff. This is prominent in San Diego. And, uh, and hopefully it made some difference. At the same time, he's my brother. So even though there's that difference, I had the conversation, I was able to kind of confront him on it. Hopefully it made a difference. He's like, he's still my brother. So he's, there needs to be brotherly love, but we need to speak the truth in love. All of that to simply say, bear with me, there is such a thing as spiritual harm, and spiritual harm is evil. And in, in the church, I just want to end with this. Actually, this, I'm not ending with this. I just learned. I got one more point. But it's like, but, but it's like in the church, there's, there's teachings that you could almost tear. And the baseline first-tier teaching is the most important teaching that defines what a Christian is, what a Christian community is. Like it involves the nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It involves the personal work of Jesus, atonement and resurrection. The inspiration, authority of Scripture, sin, salvation, etc. The second tier could get into interpretation, eschatology, for example. You know, we all believe in the rapture, but when is it going to take place? There's different views. Some views maybe on how you view the election or spiritual gifts and so forth. But look, teaching the essentials, like who is God, plan of salvation, nature of sin, the authority of Scripture, first-tier doctrines, and man, we need to be committed to them, so help us God. But let me just say this, if you want to have clarity on love and evil and overcoming evil with good, we just need to look to Lord Jesus. And um, I want us to end, we have just a little time, if you turn to Revelation chapter 19. Our precious Lord, Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11 with me. You know, when you think of, of our Lord, and I mentioned this earlier, you, you don't think of evil for good reason. Because he embodied holiness, he embodied justice and love and the highest good. And from his death came the greatest healing. However, our precious Lord was the victim of evil. Have you been a victim of evil? But he was a victim of evil in every form. Some mental evil, he was lied about, falsely accused, right? Um... Spiritual evil in the sense on the cross, he's, he's bearing the sins of the world. Physical evil, I mean, just brutal. And just, and just with terrible disdain and mockery. Crown of thorns, purple robe, I mean, just insane. Insane, sadistic evil. But when he returns, our, our precious king, 
will embody the abhorrence of evil. He will embody the abhorrence of evil. And how it's described is incredibly graphic. Do I, do I think there's some metaphor in here? No doubt about it. But metaphor has literal meaning to it. So, for example, it says in verse 11, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true. That's the Lord. And in righteousness, he judges and makes, what's the next word? War. Like against what? Evil. Look at verse 13. I'm just going to like pull a thread through here, a needle and a thread. Look at verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Actually, that's a reference to Joel 2 and 3. It's a graphic picture of someone like tromping with their feet um, grapes and prep for wine. And it's splattering all over the place. Like, is this, is this meta? Like, this, this is like, I take it literally, but I don't think there's any wording that can capture actually, you know, in its, in its entirety, what the reality is going to be when Jesus returns. So, in other words, you're going to have to use some illustrative metaphor to help communicate it. Look at verse 14 the armies in heaven. Revelation 19, 19, verse 15, strike the nations. Verse 15, jump down to verse 15. Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Look at verse 16. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Look at verse 19. The beast, verse 19, the beast the kings of the earth, the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. Verse 20, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning and brimstone. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. So why are we, why are we reading all of this? We're just reading all of this because our Lord not only experienced evil, but when he returns, okay, he, he will demonstrate the abhorrence of evil because he will judge it on planet Earth. And in the words of our precious Lord himself, he said this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he's going to sit on his throne and all the nations will be gathered to him. They, these will go away. He judges between the sheep and the goats. And then he says to the goats, these will go away into everlasting punishment from but the righteous into eternal life. It's like, look, uh, there's evil. We're not to repay evil with evil. We're to repay evil with good, just like our Lord. He conquered evil on the cross, and he will conquer evil when he returns. And therefore, let us not be lagging in our diligence. Let's be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Can I hear an amen to that? Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, steadfastly in prayer. Keep a godly attitude and outlook. Jesus won the war. And in Christ, we are more than overcomers in him. Can I hear another amen to that? Amen to that. Hey, listen, let's all stand, you guys. Let's all stand, yeah. Oh. 
So I just want to say in an attitude of prayer, look, we're, next week we're going to begin actually going verse by verse there in, in this passage in Romans, kind of identifying, not a kind of, but identifying the, what love looks like, you know, love loves morality, loves uh, fight, loves um, triumph. I mean, it's just all these beautiful distinctions, so we'll get to that next week. Uh, but Lord, I want to thank you for this wonderful time. I thank you for every precious one in this room. And, and Lord, I, I just want to pray for anyone that is yet to open the door of their heart to you, to turn from their sin and turn to you and receive forgiveness. Um, you said you stand at the door and knock, and if anyone would hear your voice and open the door that you'll come in and you'll have relationship with them. And I, I just want you to know the Lord loves you and he loves you and he loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. He wants to give you something. He wants to give you himself. And when you, he comes into your life, he forgives you of your sins. Past, present, and future. He gives you hope beyond the grave, a ticket, so to speak, to heaven. It's like when Jesus was on the cross it could be said he paid it all. Our forgiveness, hope, as I mentioned, hope beyond the grave. And the Bible says we're saved. The rescue takes place by receiving a gift. We're saved by grace. That means gift. Through faith. And the Bible says those that call upon the Lord shall be saved. So really, he's just a prayer away. A prayer, a a prayer of faith and truth. The Bible says those who confess Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead. They shall be saved. Beautiful. And listen, that can happen to you, my friend. Please, please hear me. Please hear me on something. The Bible says those who do the truth come to the light. And those who don't do the truth don't come to the light. So it's like if you do what is right, you'll come. You will You'll, you'll come to the Lord who brings healing to our life and love and all that he is. Um, you, so I just, I just pray, if you've yet to receive him and turn to him, I pray it's this morning. And I would just like to lead you in a word of prayer. Because Look, if you mean it and step into this prayer, it's, it's not the formality of the prayer, it's the substance of the prayer. You know, it's not like, okay, I'm just going to recite this. No, it's like, you're believing it. You're stepping into it. Uh, you're making it a confession. You're making it a genuine prayer. Man, the Lord will honor it. I'm absolutely convinced of it. So and this is a prayer of saying, Lord, I believe in you and I need your forgiveness and come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. And if you would like to pray, you would like to become a Christian, you would like, instead of trespassing, stepping outside of original design, you want to take a step in the right direction and embrace Christ, hey, pray with me. And church family, if you would like to join, that would be great. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me, resurrecting from the dead. I believe it. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, come into my life Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with the life of God. Thank you for making me your child, both now and forever. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me 
Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.